Hello, this is Zach, and you are listening to the Point Momentum Podcast, where you will find insightful, life-filled, and experience-based discussion as we delve into issues related to health, wellness, family, and life. Point Momentum, moving families and individuals into greater wholeness and strength. Enjoy! and welcome to the Point Momentum Podcast. Uh, Real excited about today's episode. It's going to be super fun. Uh, I'm sitting here with my wife, Jessica. Hello. And we have uh, have two Jessicas in this podcast. So since you can't visually see them, this is going to be a bit of a challenge. How are you know, I'm going to say Jessica and both of them are going to start talking. (laughs) So we have Jessica Kitchens, who's an LPC, licensed professional counselor, uh, is the CEO of the Puzzle Collaborative, and operates her private counseling practice, Kitchens Counseling. Hello, Jessica. Hi. Uh, and then we have Dr. Michelle Kilmer, who is her doctorate in nursing practice and is currently an assistant professor at the University of Arkansas. And she, her emphasis is on uh, is on uh, kiddos in the autism spectrum, right? Michelle, okay. am I saying that correctly? Yeah. You're Perfect. saying it right. And you were just published, Michelle, by the Journal of uh, the Nurse Practitioner. Is that the name of the journal? The Nurse Practitioner. Yes. The Nurse Practitioner. Very fun. Uh, so, uh, so guys, this is going to be. We're going to do a series on just mental health diagnoses. Potentially do some more on autism. Autism's been pretty interesting to me over the years. I see in my practice. Um, I don't see a ton of kiddos with autism, but I, I almost always have one to two. Uh, you, and generally speaking, it would be uh, kind of adolescent to young adult would be the age range that I would see most of the time. Uh, so I generally have one to one to two, maybe three on my caseload at any given time. Uh, somebody who falls on the uh, on the spectrum in one way or another. So so that's me, Jessica. When do you do you see autism? That's Jessica Newcomb is who I'm, <laughs> Jessica I'm speaking to. I mean, currently in my current role, I don't. But um, it would, as a profession, pediatricians, nurse practitioners, we definitely, as primary care doctors, could be the ones identifying That's a right. need for a referral. Or, uh, but I think, and Michelle will probably be be able to talk about this, is um, how to identify and recommend evaluation, treatment, what kind of things. How we can be better at, at, at into those things. things. Yeah. yeah. So before we jump into that, I want to hear from Jessica and Michelle, whoever wants to go first. I don't know. Introduce yourselves. That was my introduction to you. Uh, tell us who you are, what you do, your family, what, what whatever you want to share with us. She's pointing at me. She's yeah. pointing yeah. at the bus. All That's right. right. <laughs> Not well, so agreeable, I- is she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I am Jessica Kitchens. I've been in private practice since about 2011. And before that, I was doing some IFS. And then I did some inpatient work with actually Zach. I'm surprised you haven't brought that up yet. (laughs) Oh, it's going to come up, Jessica. Oh, yeah. You you have some of my most fun stories. (laughs) I have five kiddos, um, ages six to 19. My youngest is actually on the spectrum. 
Um, on top of being a licensed professional counselor, I also specialize in substance use and play therapy and autism. I'm a certified autism specialist trying to advance that into the advanced certified autism specialist, hopefully very, very soon. I didn't what know you had five mean? kids, Jessica. It's with the IBCCES, International Board Credentialing, all that for the – they're the ones that do like um, certified autism amusement parks – certified oh, yeah. the, the the businesses and stuff that well they do that for professionals as well so if that gives you an idea who's credentialing me so and you are specific questions and you are uh, also the program the puzzle collaborative why don't you go ahead and just yes. introduce that to us so we know what yes. that's all about Puzzle Collaborative came to me about last year sometime. I was doing some training. Somebody asked me a, a question in regards to, are there any businesses that do any specific consulting work for those who work on the spectrum? And I said, not to my knowledge. And then I started thinking about it. There needs to be one. So that was part of the idea of it. But then I also started noticing there was a very severe lack of programs that offered social skills groups, um, peer mentors. That's something that I want to offer. Obviously, counseling with the specialization towards autism and other neurodiverse issues such as ADHD. Um, but also, I wanted to, you know, offer all kinds of counseling, not just that, and play therapy. I should specialize in that too. Um, but also, Therapy seminars and trainings for other professionals and maybe churches or businesses that want to learn more about it. It's just an all-encompassing business, and it's just getting off the ground. And March was actually my launch date, and that's when COVID hit. I had my business plan wrote, and bam, it just like, okay, well. So that was kind of put on hold. It's still up and going, but a lot of the things I'm trying to see how we could do that via the telehealth aspect. But the counseling is live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, COVID definitely threw a wrench in some things as far as services and how we offer them. So, yeah, that's definitely something I'd be interested to hear you guys both talk about uh, working with those on the spectrum inside of this environment of COVID. Uh, Michelle, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay. Uh, well, I'm married to Keith. We've been married 25 years. 25 um, years. And we have three kids. Our, our condolences, Michelle. Uh, <laughs> for him or me. Just kidding. Um, we love Keith. <laughs> we uh, have three kids, ages 12 through 19. One of those is on the spectrum as well. Um, I think I remember, honestly, my first interest in autism was actually in high school. I saw a documentary on a woman um, – in another country who they were saying she was like an autism whisperer because she could work with these um, very young children who were nonverbal and and had all types of of difficulties. um, And she could understand them. And through her, we began to think about things such as, does the light too bright? Is the light, is the sound too loud? Um, Mm -hmm. She was one of the first to mention these things, which, Back in the 70s, that's when Dr. Ayers, who's an occupational therapist, she mentioned sensory, but no one understood it um, as until she came along. But then my, my interest in autism can, continued to grow. Um, after we had our son in Chile, uh, we went to visit a dear friend of mine, and her son had uh, very high-functioning autism. 
and watching him for that week really fascinated me why he would do the things and choose the things to do and um, why the environment had to be a certain way for him to feel comfortable. Um, and I just, I was fascinated with the fact that the human brain could control so much um, to make itself feel comfortable. So then uh, as we went through our own journey in autism with our son, of course, I mean, most of us who work in autism is because we have a loved one with autism. Um, it is a great community to be a part of. The autism community is one of the most supportive communities. Uh, the parents are great. The providers who really want to see change for autism patients are great. Um, the organizations are great. So I have loved being a part of the autism community. I started um, back in 2000 for writing uh, sensory integration uh, pamphlets for um, an author. Uh, she wrote a book called The Alvestine Child. Uh, she, Carol Karenowitz is her name. She's phenomenal. And she and I collaborated for a while on, I would help, she, I would help her with her pamphlets and handouts because she wasn't good with a computer. Um, and then I wrote a paper on sensory integration disorder and presented it at Texas Tech, and no one had heard of it. This is back in 2006, right? Really? There was no Jenny McCarthy. <laughs> there was no Dr. Best. And none of that was had happened yet. Autism was just starting to become on people's radar. Hmm. So at that time, they thought sensory integration was just with, with uh, neonates. Um, so that whole journey from 2006 until now, being with our son and seeing um, that really, truthfully, I had to be his primary care provider and his mom. And I remember one time one of his specialists said, you've been his quarterback for so long. Let me be the quarterback. And he was really the most helpful of all of the specialists that we went to. Um, but. I remember thinking no parent should have to be the quarterback of this. Yeah, yeah. There are so many things going on. And the last thing that parents need to be doing is fighting with their providers over how their kid is responding or what treatments they want to try or please do something. I don't want to watch and wait. Um, yeah. And unfortunately, that still happens. So that's what got me into what I'm doing now, which is developing the um, Access for Autism program through my work with the University of Arkansas. Tell us a little bit about that, Michelle. So what I want to do is um, initially focus on capturing and identifying these kids. So in a great perfect world, what would happen is that kids would go to their pediatrician and they would have well child checks like they're supposed to. Now, part of a well child check has a component of de developmental surveillance. This isn't happening. Um, it, it is staggering how few primary care providers um, even do developmental monitoring, 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 let alone surveillance. So once these kids through surveillance are identified at risk, then they should be um, referred for more in-depth evaluation. In Arkansas, that takes about 18 months. Oh, wow. Uh, so there are 11 states that this CDC 
look at to see how the autism prevalence is increasing or not. Arkansas is one of those states, and we consistently wow. rank last in our ability to identify kids before age five. Really? You, typically, a child in Arkansas is identified much later, and the biggest reason is because we aren't identifying them in primary care when they're there for their well-child checks. Gotcha. Um, so that has to happen first. And then once we start identifying these kids, the second part of the program is to um, speed up the diagnosis time by having an interdisciplinary team. So Arkansas has, you mentioned this um, on your email, Arkansas has a, I think, terrible policy. (laughs) Um, It's called the triad diagnosis, and it mandates that a pediatrician or MD of any kind a speech therapist and a psychologist all agree that a child has autism. Mm -hmm. Um, That's one of the reasons that we have such a bad delay in our diagnosis. When you look at the other 10 states who are monitored by the CDC, none of them have that. Gotcha. Um, So an MD is probably not feeling very comfortable with diagnosing autism. So what they do in Arkansas is they send them to two of our only developmental centers that that test for um, autism. And like I said, you're looking at a good long 18 months before you get evaluated. Yeah, for sure. Then the third part is the treatment. So once you're evaluated in Arkansas, you're not given any idea of what to do next. So then you're the quarterback again. So yeah. the third part of the program is to create multidisciplinary teams that work together and collaborate so that the the care plan is consistent for the kid. That's it in a very long nutshell. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, from being on the uh, pediatrician side of things, I, it excites me to want to hear about that because I do, I mean, I didn't spend a lot of time in primary care, but the time I did spend there, um, the, one of the hardest things is identifying a deficit in a kid and then not knowing, or even an infant and knowing, picking up on a milestone being, you know, delayed or, or believing a parent that's concerned, but then knowing that the referral process is a nightmare and oh, but sure. not knowing what else to do in the meantime. Yes, um, I've written a clinical practice guideline that's going to go through a clinical trial this year um, that will help once you have identified at risk um, a child for autism at risk, then the pediatrician or provider can go through this clinical practice guideline to tell them what to do next, because that is a huge concern. Um, When you have 15 minutes for a visit, which most of the primary care providers only allow that much, you're not going to know what to do. You Mm -hmm. need to have an algorithm to help you. Um, And there's not anything like that available yet for our providers. So we have to support the providers in the structure that they have because the, unfortunately it's not going to change and it's really a a little poor system that we have. Mm -hmm. Um, It it should be changed, Mm -hmm. but that's going to be a long time. Yeah. Jessica, I know what you're doing. It falls more in the category of treatment, correct? Yes, uh, one of the but, one of the things of treatment. It's definitely not a, a catch-all, but there's a lot of 
areas of treatment that there are. Well, well, I know you have a, you mentioned you have a kiddo who's on the spectrum as well. So what was your, with, with Michelle talking about how, how the diagnosis says are caught and diagnosed and all all that component, what was your experience with that? Or, Or if you mind sharing that. No, absolutely. Um, I will say for Ridley, um, she did not show a lot of early signs of it. She met a lot of milestones actually very, very early with the exception of speech. She said a word at the normal age, but then there was just a pause. And then around between the 12 and 15 month, I started getting concerns we were talking to the pediatrician. We were getting ears tested, checking to see if there was fluid in the ears that was stuck. You know, is it a receptive language issue? And so I actually had a really good friend who's a speech therapist who was actually just seeing her weekly just to kind of help out with that once we realized that ears were not the issue. Um other than that, it wasn't until about maybe 18 months when I kept like pushing, like, show me your eyes, show me your ears, trying to test that receptive language that she just wasn't interested in that. She didn't want to play. She didn't want to do that, play with that. She would play in other ways, but not play with, I don't want to point my eye. So I started thinking that there's at least a pragmatic issue there. I know she can hear me, but there's as pragmatic, if she's speaking words, she, they're not in a pragmatic way. And so the more that it come out, I started thinking maybe she had like pragmatic communication disorder and which that's uh, meets two of the three domains of autism, which is the social and the language, but it doesn't meet the repetitious, um, repetitive, some of the things that come with the autism. Um, and so I, I started just, you know, calling it that. And I wasn't really seeking a diagnosis. She was getting some uh, spe- services through early childhood and they ran some of their tests and enough to get her services in place for that. And so she started getting more regular speech therapy, more occupational therapy and stuff like that. And so she she was getting services, just not had did not have an official diagnosis. When she started getting closer to kindergarten age, I went ahead and sought out a private diagnosis through a um, psychologist in Fayetteville that took my insurance rather than wait the 18 months (laughs) or two years that whether it's meeting or some of them, because sometimes that's the only way you can do it is you have to, it's a significant outpay of costs in that regard. I was not going to wait. And so we went through that. We did t- Dr. Terry Lawson. Um, we got a, a pretty quick, and he saw some of the little repetitious behaviors. And after a while, I said, like, yeah, I guess, I guess those is. She likes to spin. I mean, she's not flapping her hands, but she likes to spin a lot. Um, but it, it was just very subtle things. So we did get a diagnosis of autism. And so that piqued my interest in, you know, identifying, obviously, these early on situations that need treatment. But, you know, his first recommendation, she needs ABA. Well, you know, her personality, that wasn't going to, that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Michelle's so, agreeing with that. Yeah. It, you just have to know Ridley. Absolutely. So tell no. me what ABA is. Applied behavioral analysis oh, okay. is what ABA, and it, it's very intense. Well, Ridley does her own thing. She likes, she loves to play, loves lots of free play, um, and she learns 
she is so smart. And so what we caught on very early on, I'll probably back up a little bit to when she was about two years old, she would jump on her little mini trampoline in front of the TV and watch these little YouTube videos. One day she just stopped jumping and pointed to the letters that were spelled out on the little trampoline. I can't even tell you what that was. But then all of a sudden she started saying what the letters were. We were not actively trying to teach her letters or anything like that. She just knew them. And so, you know, I kind of freaked out a little bit. I'm like, Steven, Steven, that's my husband. She knows her letters. And so we started, you know, showing her letters. What is this? What is this? And she labeled every one. She learned that specifically by jumping. And watching YouTube videos about alphabet. And so we, we realized that what she knows is kind of an iceberg underneath. We have no idea what she knows. And so um, I wanted to meet her where she at was for her therapy needs. And speech was doing a great job with that. OT was doing a great but play-based interventions. I wanted to increase my knowledge on that. And I can tell you for her, she has just exploded with her knowledge, just incorporating play into therapy in all avenues. And so that's kind of where a lot of my play therapy stuff has focused with, you know, whether it's op play interventions or other play-based interventions and sensory integration, uh, sensory enrichment therapy. I, I did get certified for that. And that's been an amazing avenue for therapy too. And it doesn't take a lot of time at all to do those things, incorporating, you know, olfactory with sight, touch, all those things while doing play. She really does well with that. But her knowledge base, we still don't know all what she knows. I remember, again, she's about two, two and a half maybe even three, I can't remember. She was playing with these letters, lined them out in some weird way. I just thought she was doing random. It took my older daughter telling me, you realize that she's laid those out the way it is on a keyboard. I couldn't even do that now. Oh, if she gave me letters, I couldn't do that now. We actually got it on video. Um, mm-hmm. But it's, it's astounding of how intelligent she is. We just don't know really underneath that iceberg what what is all there so but I get to see a lot of it through her play that's the best so that's where I'm pushing my therapy and my um, interventions knowledge is a lot through the play based through the children anyway interesting mm-hmm. sensor integration is so important Jessica yeah. you know because it helps organize the cerebellum and when that is organized, then the cerebrum can work. The Absolutely. higher functioning um, processes can work. And it doesn't surprise me at all that she was jumping on a trampoline <laughs> and learning because yes. we know that helps her proprioception and that yes. helps all that sensory input. Um, I was told by an occupational therapist when our son was seven, she was giving me ideas on how to integrate sensory um, protocol into our home. Mm-hmm. And it would floor me how he would begin opening up and communicating during that time. And yes. he, he was, he's always been an incredible communicator. He started speaking at six months of age. So wow. he's just perfect score on the ACT in English. He's just a very good communicator. Um, but I would find that when we were in um, incorporating sensory diet, his communication, especially with reciprocal language, improve drastically yes guys before i'm we... done now zach okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah that was like that was like a dramatic stop there Michelle. it's like you're going 90 Ta-da! miles an hour full stop. Boom. Full stop. done 
Now I know that's how you operate. Pause. So we'll jump in soon. Uh, Let's uh, take a sip on your Dr. Pepper. <laughs> that was the real Pepper. reason why she stopped. She's got the Dr. Pepper. So guys, we have jumped straight into the into the the heart of it really quickly. Uh, let me pull us out for just a second. Sure. I want to hear a layperson's definition of autism. And I gave you guys both a heads up. I was going to ask that. So, you know, you yeah. should be. <laughs> so well, like, so just the, the average, <laughs> the average listener. Who, I'll, I'll give who, mine and then she'll probably grow from that because yeah. I'm we'll more develop our own. We'll, we'll develop our <laughs> own PhD. layperson's definition. So it's a developmental and neurological disorder that includes the three areas of affected functioning, which with Ridley, again, it was communication, it was social, but it also includes like our repetitious behaviors or restrictive interests type of thing. Um, and there's a large spectrum, again, of what that entails. One avenue might be a lot more affected than the other avenue. And so I'm, I'm just going to give it to her. I'm more of the short answer type person, and she she's going to expand perfect. on that. That's no, perfect. this is, is exactly what I would say to a lay person. And um, whenever I lecture on autism, I always say um, anger and um, outburst are not diagnostic criteria for autism, <laughs> that you cannot um, look at TV characters. It irritates me. This is honestly one of my biggest pet peeves when people will come up to me and go, have you seen The Good Son? Have you seen yeah. Parenthood? Have you seen all the, you know, Sheldon Cooper? And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, Sheldon are, Cooper is not a model of an autistic exactly. Those are characters. Michelle, you're blowing me up here. <laughs> I know. Get ready. But no, oh not every person with autism is Devastated. Sheldon Cooper. <laughs> it, but it drives me nuts. Sincerely, it drives me nuts. Mm -hmm. and, and so I, I mentioned this a lot at the U of A, that um, autism is definitely everything that Jessica said, those three main components, and aggression is not one of them. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing I say is that we also understand with autism that it affects the entire body. Um, allergies, dermatitis, gut for sure, um, immunology. There are so many major complications that are associated with children who have autism. And so while it's still classified as mainly a neurodevelopmental disorder, more and more we're looking at in expanding that. I would not be surprised if it becomes like an autoimmunity kind of um, thought process because of the significance of allergies and the gut and immunology with autism. The other thing I tell parents when they find out they have a child with autism is your child is no different at this moment than they were yesterday. They are no different at this moment than they were five minutes ago. Yeah. This is not the end diagnosis. Mm -hmm. You know, we have our whole country is founded by people who had autism. Mm -hmm. We have great examples of wonderful historical people, men and women, who had autism and they did amazing things in this life. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so it is not a devastating diagnosis mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. And I will add to that that <laughs> that's a, a struggle that a lot of people that are not autism aware they they go through a grief process, and I understand that completely. But 
I didn't go through that. I, I didn't. I had so much knowledge and I know about all these great people that have autism. Um, and so for me, it was just like, okay, well, I've got to learn more about this. I've got to learn as much as I possibly can. If, if I did have a grief, it may have lasted literally five minutes of it. And that was just like, okay, well, she's not exactly what I was expecting. But and now looking back, I'm like, she's better than what I was expecting. So, but that's not always the case. And I understand that. And I respect that. If with every parent, it's a very, it's a spectrum out of itself of, you know, the process of understanding it and grieving it. And, and that is a whole complication. And sometimes that requires counseling in of itself mm-hmm. is when they get the diagnosis. And I'm here for that. If they want that, I can, I can provide that. Absolutely. I'm not sure if any of you actually answered my question. <laughs> yeah, they did. We did. They the did. Very did. well. But for I a lay like person? Yes. Don't be disagreeable with that. I think they, they Social answered it very well. They're, they're Repetitive on behaviors. Me. They have to meet those three domains. <laughs> we gotcha. can become yeah. real yeah. mean real quick. Yeah. I said that and it's like everybody came at me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so. Okay, but okay, lay. I need a lay person's definition. So, give me like a thirty second. Which Jessica's yours at the beginning she was did. probably yeah. is was probably it was it. great. It, it was, was great. great. Oh, what okay. are you saying, Zach? And then there was like a ton of explanation behind the lay person, which was definition, very helpful. Which was super helpful. I understand. <laughs> okay, it well, now, I'm not going to answer your question, but I'm going to give you another thing. Okay. Um, what Jessica was just saying about parents getting counseling and help, I fully yeah. support mm-hmm. that. Um, I remember reading a story called Welcome to Holland. I don't know if you've heard this before, but it's a very short story. And basically, you're on a an airplane and you're so excited because you're going to Italy and you cannot wait to get to Italy. All your life, you've wanted to go to Italy. You've learned Italian and you get on the airplane and you're in the air and the um, stewardess says, we're going to Holland. And you say, well, I don't want to go to Holland. I want to go to Italy. Well, too bad. You're going to Holland. So you land in Holland. You realize it's not exactly what you thought it would be. This is not what you wanted. This is not what you had expected and planned for. But the longer you're in Holland, the longer you start to see that there are beautiful things about Holland. And there's windmills and the trees are beautiful. It's not Italy, but it's Holland. And that's how you have to look at raising a child with autism. It may not always be exactly what in the back of your mind you thought it would be. But I had two neurotypical kids and they're not exactly in the back of my mind what I thought it would always be either. Um, we so, won't tell them you said that. Michelle. I'll, I'll broadcast they know. that. <laughs> <laughs> they completely know. But, you know, I, I do hear a lot of parents grieving the well, this is what I had thought, or this is what it could be. And I, I really think social media makes that worse for them because they Absolutely. see all these families that have these perfect kids. And as a pastor's wife, sometimes I get to see what goes on behind those families with the perfect kids. And they're not, they're not all that picture perfect. Um, everyone has struggles. Yeah. Everyone has something that they go through that's difficult. Mm-hmm. Every kid has something that scares their parents. Mm-hmm. So I encourage any parent to definitely seek counseling and and to have a realistic approach when you are comparing your family to others, because no one is how they appear to be. Yeah. Yeah. So we've kind of jumped into the parenting side of things. Um, I don't know. 
give me some thoughts on that. What are some tips you would give uh, a parent who either has a kid who they know is on the autism spectrum or a kiddo that they suspect may be? What, what would be some just immediate off the cuff advice or thoughts for those guys? Well, one, if even if you can't get a formal diagnosis right away, there are avenues to take that you can still get services in place. Um, and with my situation, formal diagnosis not was not needed. I needed to get early childhood into place. We have a great co-op program here. I believe it's based out of Farmington. They will come to you and they have services in place in all kinds of the area of Northwest Arkansas. So I, I remember we went to Jones Center. Sometimes they came to us. Sometimes they come into the preschools. And so it was actually a really, really great service. And she got really great speech therapy. She got OT. Um, and if she needed physical therapy, they would have provided that too. But she she was on mark for that so that she didn't need that. But there is ways that you can still get services in place, even if you don't have a formal diagnosis. Now, if you really know or think that your child is on the spectrum, by all means, talk with your pediatrician about that. Um, most of them, mine was really, really good. She said, you need a referral? I can give you a referral. I'm like, yeah, I got it. I'm good. Um, so, but she was really good about, I'll, I'll give you the referrals you need. And most of them will give you a referral, whether it's to Schmeeting or somewhere else. Granted, there is a wait list for that, but don't let that stop you from getting other services in place. A lot of places, whether it's speech and OT and physical therapy, a lot of them will do their own evaluations to see if they mm -hmm. need services without a formal diagnosis of autism. Mm -hmm. And so again, and once you get that diagnosis, because eventually you probably will, if you keep pushing, don't, you're not in it alone. There's a lot of, I say for Northwest Arkansas, especially, we have some really great programs and people will aim the AIM community, which is autism, involves me, which is a nonprofit that um, they have a resource care binder for people that they can get as soon as they get a diagnosis. Um, they can give you checked in with all kinds of, whether it's mom's groups, dad's groups, other nonprofits, other services that you need, they're kind of a tie-in to that. Um, and if you if you don't want to leave the house, you've even we've got online groups and stuff like that. So you're not alone. That's the key. Don't think you have to go through it alone. And I'll, I'll let Michelle kind of expand on that. No, I mean, I think he did a great job explaining, um, you know, what to do medically for sure. Um, I would I would say for parenting also apart from that. I've seen a lot of parents just really there's there's two different kind of reactions where you have one who just dives into everything and they they just try to enforce all these different kind of interventions on the kid to see if that makes it better. And it's very stressful. And that's the worst thing you can do. And then you have the other who deny it. And they just feel that the child's going to outgrow this, or they feel that they expose the child to more situations that cause stress, then they'll get used to it. And both of those are just going to create stress in your child, and they're not going to be able to grow and develop the way that God designed them to. So I really am a big advocate of getting to know who your child is, you know, and guide them in the way that they're bent in. There are some children who are incredibly creative and help them grow in that, help them succeed, put them in an environment in which they can thrive and not in an environment in, in which they're going to fail. I would also say in that note, um, bullying at school is a very big problem in the autism community. 
It's so be very involved in their school, uh, be very active in their school programs, in their um, in their parties, be talking with the school uh, counselors. Make sure you are getting an educational plan that is set for your child so that they can succeed. I'm not encouraging that children with autism have to have everything perfect for them to adapt, but for a while they kind of do. We make major modifications for them to be able to feel comfortable and to get confidence. So several terms that you guys have thrown around. Neurodiverse. Talk about that because our listeners won't necessarily know that terminology. There's neurotypical, which is... I hate to use the word normal, but your average you did it, Jessica. general brain with no neurodiverse could be ADHD brain or autism brain. I think even Down syndrome might be included in that too, um, but it's just a unique, different, compelling, whatever you want to call it, brain. So it's a diverse brain. So neurodiversity just basically is brain differences. Gotcha. So just (laughs) somebody who thinks differently, their brain operates differently than maybe the average, the highest, the higher percentage of the population. Yes. Michelle, anything to add to that? No, no. That was perfect. I think when Zach and I have most of our conversations, we feel like, we're both neurodiverse. Are you neuroatypical? We don't often think. <laughs> typical and atypical. We don't. We don't think this. We, our brains don't quite work uh, the that's same. That's just marriage. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> but I'm gonna start You're saying that. No, I'm just kidding. And Michelle, you said something. No, you are. Are you going at- atypical? Yes. <laughs> Is she atypical? Uh, see, uh, Michelle, you said something early on about kind of where you think the diagnosis of autism is heading. Sure, sure, sure. So uh, the gut biome is a huge thing right now. Uh, We know that we are the host to many different little organisms in our gut. Uh, 80% of our immunity is in our gut. Uh, And we also know that children and adults with autism have terrible gut issues. So there's got to be a correlation there. Um, There is more of a thought pattern with autoimmunity uh, because a lot of families who had children with autism have autoimmunity in their family line. And also with inflammation, um, when you think about the, the allergies, the food allergies, the skin allergies, Um, the different types of comorbid disorders that children with autism usually have, they're all related to inflammation. So it it is very interesting to see more advances in with immunology and gastrointestinal um, tract functioning in autism. We know that some children get better when their gut health is improved. Um, We know that some children's skin eruptions disappear when their health is improved, when their gut health is improved. So those are the two big main things that I see and read about a lot. And then, of course, genetics, uh, finding exact um, deletions or or aberrations in our receptors. Uh, There was a a thought of a folic acid receptor that was not 
um, allowing the uh, B2 vitamin to integrate correctly into the central nervous system and that that, that was causing problems um, with neurodevelopment and that was resulting in autism. So the thought was, we'll give these kids high doses of folate and see if it makes it better or not. And that's still being looked at. Um, It's not recommended at this time, but it's still in process of being seen. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. What would you guys recommend to a new parent of good resources as far as educating yourself about autism and treatments or whatnot? Are there specific places that are kind of your go-to areas? I Google questions. I Google questions all, (laughs) and I love books. Um, I always, I love Temple Grandin. (laughs) And I think most people who are in the autism community know of her um, and how she, she's not Asperger's, she's autistic. And I have actually got to see her in person, but reading a lot of her books, whether you're on the spectrum and you're an adult, or if you're a parent of one that's on the spectrum, you can get a lot of valuable information from her. Her mother is uh, Eustacia Cutler, I believe even has a book out called uh, A Thorn in My Pocket, which is a very good informative book about her raising Temple, um, especially in a time way time before time that, you know, back then that if you had a child on the spectrum, they were rushing you to kind of put them in the hospital and not, and not good. she ignored that. And she was way ahead of her time. She got her with speech and uh, she did a lot of things right, but it was just way beyond her time. So I, I think just trying to find as much information from other people who have gone through it already, there are a lot of resources online and valuable information. There's some that I'm not the the biggest fan of, but you know, I say, I tell everybody take it with a grain of salt as much as you can. There's a lot of research out there. But for me, I personally get the most value out of books from parents and people who ha- are dealing with it themselves. I learn the most from them. I think the questions that I usually get are, are more medical. Um, you know, are more medically related, like gluten-free, casein-free diet, or um, methylfolate, or uh, there was one, oh, vaccinations. I was like, what was that big one? Vaccinations, you know. <laughs> uh, I get a lot of questions about diet and vaccinations and nutritional supplements. Um, and so what I would encourage for parents is to breathe and slow down because you can start chasing a lot of rabbits and go into a lot of different rabbit holes and that can be overwhelming and you're actually not benefiting yourself or the child and causing more stress which makes their their uh, symptoms worse um and then i i recommend that if parents who have children who do not have um verbal abilities to explain how they feel very well. Uh, I do I do advise them to look to see if they notice tantruming after certain foods mm-hmm. because there is a correlation between food allergies and tantr- tantruming and they can't explain why they hurt. And so that is an important part of a child who is nonverbal to be looking for. Um, 
And then as far as diets and everything else goes, I just say everyone is very individual. And what works for one doesn't work for another. If it works for your child, then great. There aren't enough tests in the world, as far as I'm concerned, to say yes or no. (laughs) I think that we're still learning and developing. And so I really think that if something works for your child, I don't care what a test says. If it works for your child, then yeah, just don't do gluten if it works for your child. Avoid dairy if it works for your child. But if it doesn't, then you don't need to worry about going through that process. So what? one other kind of random question. Uh, A while back, uh, the, the term Asperger's was kind of done away with. What do you, what are you guys thoughts on that? Do you have an opinion about that? Good, bad, don't care. I don't know if it's necessarily an opinion, but I mean, people still use it. I still use it. I mean, it's it's something I just tell people it's not considered a, an official diagnosis, but as far as a varied level of autism, it helps them and it helps me understand as as far as the severity goes. And especially when I work with adults, who have never even thought about getting a diagnosis or being having a label, you know, I, and I start touching base, I'll start, you might want to look into like what Asperger's means, because if I tell them to go off on a bunny trail of autism, they may go down on the completely unrelated to them. But when I tell them Asperger's, a lot of the information they get is very, 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 very much what they need for them. And so it, it may, even if it's not official, it's still informative. Um, I don't know why they did away with it other than I guess it got too convoluted and too confusing, which they have their reasons for it, but it's still used. Even the, the doctor that diagnosed my daughter said, even though she has speech issues, she still would be considered under the Asperger syndrome if they still had that. I, I personally was really concerned when they took it away because to me, my, my main concern was that they were going to start um, for the DSM-5 criteria. They were going to start saying these things have to be present to have autism. But you can also have different diagnoses that comprise autism. But if you code it a certain way, then the child isn't diagnosed with autism. For example, you can have OCD, speech language disorder, reciprocal language disorder. Uh, you can have... I'm trying to think of one more. And you, anyway, you can have all these different diagnoses that when you put it together, that's autism. Mm-hmm. But yet you can get around an autism diagnosis by saying you have these. And so what, I, what I've seen, unfortunately, are children who have autism. Everyone knows they have autism. But insurance companies are refusing to um, help these families because they say, well, that's not autism. That's five different diagnoses. Uh, it's something that's still being looked at. I wouldn't be surprised if, it, if they go backwards on it and we get another Asperger type diagnosis again. Yeah. I was disappointed when they got rid of that diagnosis. So I'm not as tight with it or tied into it as you guys would be. Uh, but just even my inner workings with those with that are on the spectrum, I was disappointed personally. I thought it, I thought it was not really fair and it didn't really capture the reality of what was happening on the ground. When, when they did away with that. So I was curious what you guys' thoughts were on it. So, yeah, yeah, okay. It made it more difficult to I get a diagnosis. It from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just knew that on the ground in my office, it became harder to, to uh, kind of capture what, was, what somebody was uh, struggling with or what their challenges were. Uh, so guys, what do we do well? 
what do we do well with autism? And this could be locally, could be the state level, it could be the national level, it could be the global level. What what do we do well? What do we not do well from you guys? And we we've touched about multiple things throughout this conversation, but if what what do we do to well and what do we need to do better with with this? I think we're just getting started on the acceptance aspect of it, you know, April being autism awareness. But we still have a long ways to go on what that means and what would be better beneficial for these children and teens and adults on the spectrum. Um, schools are still variable across the board. Some of them do great. My daughter's school did amazing for her and they eased my concerns and she's going to be going into first grade next year. But I remember the anxiety I had as far as when she was going into kindergarten, I was so worried what it was going to be like, you know, the bullying aspect, the education aspect, but they hit everything perfect to the T, but not all schools are like that. I will say I've heard great things about the schools in our area. So that's good, but I'm sure there may be a school here or there that still has a lot of work to do to get to where they need to be. Um, trying to think nationally, we still got a long ways to go for that. Medically, we still got a long ways to go for that. It is a very never ending growing endeavor as far as trying to figure out exactly what autism is. Cause I don't think we still, like she said, we don't know exactly whether it's autoimmune or what we've still got a long ways to go. So as far as what we're doing well, the best thing I can come up with is that we're a little bit more of a sponge and that we want to learn about what it is and how we can better serve these people with it. For sure. And I think probably for me, I, what we have going well are the allied health professionals who truly care. I mean, the PT, the OT, the speech, uh, other types of therapists, they care about these kids. They aren't getting listened to. They're not being heard. Um, I think medically, um, the children with autism are at a huge disadvantage and are really quite vulnerable in our country. Um, we are ages behind where we should be when it comes to managing their care. Um, selfishly, I'm hoping that changes as nurse practitioners role increases and becomes more prominent. But when I look at how children with autism are managed and the fact that that hasn't changed in the last 20 years, hasn't improved. That's ridiculous. It's, it's, it's a, it is one thing that COVID-19 did was show the, the gaps in our healthcare system, but we already knew in autism that those gaps existed mm -hmm. <laughs> because we live them every day. And so I'm hoping that we will restructure our healthcare care system in such a way that we can provide better care for these kids. Similar to how Jessica Newcomb and I did with the cystic fibrosis kids. You know, we had a team that took care of those kids. A child with autism needs a team. Um, parents with autism need a team. And that needs to change in order for us to, to, to move on. Yeah. Yeah. So guys, what would be, uh, almost like a call to action for our listeners. What is something they can do to help support whether they have a kiddo with autism, they have autism or they don't. Is there something they can do? Is there a, 
senator they can write to? Is there a cause they can give to? Is there what what would you say? Is there is there something? And 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 maybe it's just you know be more open to the idea of an of, of an autistic kid in your in your life. But what's something that peep that practically people can do on a daily basis or whatnot? to uh, help support this and help move it forward. I think we need to improve overall acceptance and kindness. Be kind. Um, as parents in, of even neurotypical kids, teaching your kids about what autism is. And honestly, I mean, the the stats are like one in 59 are diagnosed with autism. They think it's higher than that. And as a therapist who works with adults who have never been diagnosed, I absolutely do agree that it's, it's higher than that. But parents your children are going to be in a classroom with somebody that's on the spectrum. You're going to be around people, maybe even in your employment that are either diagnosed or undiagnosed, but they are autistic. And so you need to get a firmer understanding of what that means. We need to increase our awareness and acceptance overall and not be afraid of it. I think there is a lot of fear when we don't understand it's something we we're just generally we're afraid of it. So the more we understand it, the better we can help these individuals, our families, um, and, and better serve the community as a whole. Um, and again, I think if we just open our eyes a little bit, it's amazing what we could do for these people, but those people can teach us a lot of things too. I mean, I learned something every day for my daughter. And so a lot of these people are uh, have amazing ideas and they're brilliant and we just need to understand that you know just cuz they don't do things the same way we do it doesn't mean it's wrong maybe maybe we're wrong about some of the things we do so i think we just need to be more aware and accepting that's for my sure idea. yeah for sure um when i talk to the u of a students i i tell them be a part of the solution not the problem Everyone is going through things in their life and you don't want someone gossiping and talking and making fun of you. Uh, so be a part of the solution. And the, the other thing I would em- encourage parents to do is to be involved in um, a program like or an organization like AIM, because there's a lot of um, legislation that's always up for discussion um, to improve autism awareness in Arkansas. So truly being a part of an organization that keeps them aware, helps them write letters to senators and the uh, House Public and Wealth and Labor Committee meets and talks a lot about autism issues. So those those are very important. Um, They need advocates. And we have a lot of advocates (laughs) as parents. Mm -hmm. And so I would encourage them to get involved. I'll also add to, you know, as far as businesses, one of the reasons that I've added this to my repertoire for Puzzle Collaborative is there are businesses that don't, they immediately, when the interview process, somebody gets a little awkward in an interview, they might immediately put them out of their mind. Well, these people might have some great skills that could help your business grow. And so maybe look past a little bit of the quirkiness and some of those things. So I would like for businesses to try to grow themselves on how they can better adapt and hire and employ and work with these individuals because I feel like we're missing out on a tremendous area of people that can help us grow in all kinds of our fields, all fields. It doesn't matter. It's not just IT. It's, you know, these people have skills in different 
areas. And so, and I do love that our area has uh, produced some businesses and we have some bakery businesses, some coffee shops and such. And there is a other areas that are growing that are employing these individuals. Well, I would like to see more businesses hire these individuals as a whole. And that's something you, the Puzzle Collaborative specifically does, correct, Jessica? You guys work with business yes, yes. on how to integrate those on the spectrum into their yes. uh, into their employees or working with that business. Yes. Yeah, that, that's really neat. That mm-hmm. That's really cool. Um, all right, guys. Um, anything else? Anything else that you guys just got, want to get off your chest? <laughs> The agreeable scientist. Let me think. Let me think. I could always go on. Uh, this is one of those areas of talk. Where I could probably talk for hours, if not days, on end. <laughs> yeah, we've already decided with pretty much every podcast we've done that we need to have. It needs to be a series because there's just too many. It's just too interesting to have one one episode about autism yeah there's a lot of stuff Absolutely. to talk about but i thought this was fun i thought this was super fun i thought this was a very good informative blast yeah, really helpful getting people educated well, thank you for the invitation uh, getting yes, some different absolutely. perspectives out there uh getting some uh yeah, ab- absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll hope, hopefully too, we'll attach to this podcast somehow. I'll probably do a little audio clip over where we'll talk about some of those resources you spoke about, like AIM. We'll yeah. talk about the puzzle. Or we can put them in the description. So the if description. there's like a link that you, like Michelle, even linked to your article. Yeah. Um, and your. If you have websites or blog, you know. Three three articles, is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, <laughs> you know remember, what I'm saying. A, yeah. Your, your Michelle's article. like a picture man. It always gets bigger. Yeah. It always gets bigger. <laughs> <laughs> it's My no, second one was mailed to me today, and I still. I, oh, yeah. I, I jumped up and down and shrilled. And yeah. <laughs> it's so silly, but. Yeah. I think I was just thinking about the one. But, yeah, your articles and, um, but, like, websites. Mm-hmm if you have recommendations for links or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Guys and go online too and like the puzzle collaboratives, Instagram and Facebook page. Mm -hmm. Michelle, you don't have a Instagram or Facebook page. Do you You want people (laughs) to like Uh, go on there and like point momentum, go on there and like the puzzle collaborative. Thank you for listening. Check back for future episodes, and as always, send in any feedback or questions to zach at pointmomentum.com. Have a good day!